This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. This week, on a special edition of Hangar Talk, we're looking back at 2020, starting with the most important news 10 years from now. And we're also going to talk about a few head-scratchers in aviation. We're going to cover the Y2K award. That's the biggest buildup without a payoff. And unfortunately, we're going to cover the worst news of 2020. But we'll end on a high note with the best. All right, Ian, are you ready to do a special year-ender version of Hangar Talk? Let's do it, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, contact. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. I'm David Tulitz. David, no guest this week. Instead, people just have to suffer through us, and uh, we're going to cover. 2020, some of the best, some of the worst. Yeah, I'm glad that we're doing this format, Ian. You know, we do something a little unusual every year, and you've got a list of, uh, of five. I've got a list of five, and we're going to take turns and go through some of the events that made 2020 what it was. Yes, and what a year it was. So we'll start with, this is a kind of a weird one, weird to say at least, the most important news of the year 10 years from now. And so what we mean by that is, when we look back 10 years from now, what, what is going to be the most important thing that happened? And so um, elders first. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, oh, thanks, Ian. <laughs> All right. No problem. No problem. I'll take off from the runway first here. Ian, I think that we're going to look back 10 years from now and think about the different power plants for aviation. And 2020 saw a lot of maturity in that area. We've, we've been talking about it on Hangar Talk for a few years now. But we've seen the emergence of some hybrid power, mm-hmm. including the electric eel, which is basically a, a, a Cessna push-pull aircraft with a hydrogen-powered electric motor and a regular motor. Okay. So hybrid electric, you know, that kind of that kind of technology is familiar to you and I because we have both had Toyota Priuses at one time or another. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was great. Boy, when you get it right, it works amazingly well. So yeah, 
on board with that. So we got that. Also, we've seen some maturity as well in the battery area. Some advances in batteries that are, as we speak, even the technology is getting a little bit lighter. The batteries are getting a little bit more powerful. And cracking that power to weight code is going to be critical here as we move forward. Yeah, the energy density. I mean, I think We'll talk about this a little later in the show with one of my picks, but yeah, it's it's getting there slowly but surely, and and yeah, like you said, we love to talk about it because we're I think we're both in support, and you know it did seem for a time that electric full electric was the answer, but now I, I think we're seeing that oh, maybe hybrid's going to sneak in there, so it's it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next ten you know ten years, but I I agree I think this is a seminal year for that. I think that uh, the hybrid does have, have good promise, And when you think about backups, and pilots are notorious for having backups and backups mm-hmm. and backups. Heck, I've got usually fly with three GPSs when I fly. <laughs> but um, we had some big news that came out of uh, Denver Base by Aerospace. That was actually pretty recently. We talked about that on a hangar talk where George Buys group for the E-Flyer 2 and 4 have switched from the Rolls-Royce engines to the Safran engine. Yeah. A motor. Mo- not engine. Motor. Motor. I know, I know. We're constantly (laughs) going to be checking ourselves there. Yeah. Yep. And then earlier in the year, it was a little bit of a startling sight to see basically a de Havilland Beaver take off on an all electric powered flight. And that was pretty interesting. That's, uh, and I'll mispronounce it. And this uh, is it Magni X or Magnix? I've always called it Magni X. Yeah. I'm going to go with Magni X. So this is a a Magni X powered seaplane. It was retrofitted with a 750 horsepower Magni 500 propulsion system. That's impressive. That's a big old engine, but that's a big airplane. Yeah. So these are some of the interesting uh, technologies that I saw coming to the future. And and one other thing that that I was thinking about is that, you know, we actually have seen some some flights uh, in other countries using some of this technology. Too. So it's not just here uh, in America. This is spreading worldwide. There's a lot of worldwide interest in uh, alternate means of power. Yeah, I totally agree. Mine's a bit of a cheat in that I'm, I'm going to go with Autoland, Garmin's Autoland. It was unveiled in 2019, but I'm including it in 2020 because that's when it was certified. So Piper, I think, was first out of the gate with this. That was May 15th on the M600. So I'm going to go with Garmin Autoland. I think this system, when we look back 10 years from now, it, you know, we look at, I think, the G1000. Th- this is, I, I guess, to go on a bit of a tangent here. To me, panels are kind of like, not unlike phones. You know, it's like everyone thinks that the iPhone was, you know, the first smartphone. And it wasn't. It was just the first really popular smartphone. And same goes with panels. I mean, I think if you ask people, what was the first sort of GA glass panel? They're going to say the G1000. But it was the Avidine. Yeah, the Avidine. Avidine. Back, yeah. In, back in the, what, 2000? Uh, when Cirrus introduced the SR20, I think. Yeah. Yep, yep. But we all think of G1000s now. Not that Avidine doesn't make great products, because they do. But, you know, Garmin just sort of took over that market. So I think the same thing's going to happen with Autoland. We're going to look back on this and say, this was a big deal. I mean, this was the first major sort of autonomous thing that we had in GA. And I think it's going to lead to, you know, right now it's an emergency system. I think we'll see it lead to fully autonomous systems. And I think we're going to see it move up. We're going to see it move down market. So I think this is a big year for that. I agree with you. I'd like to see the down market of that, you know, uh, come to a slowly system and Piper, you know, (laughs) Cherokee flyers. 
Yeah. But that is kind of an interesting technology. And listen, Ian, I think that's also going to play a part in, in, you know, looking forward to the future in the next 10 years. It's going to play a big part in the electric vertical takeoff and landing systems of some of these aviation devices that we have talked about time and time again on Hangar Talk. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Okay. Biggest head scratcher of the year. I'm going to go with one that's, uh, you know, maybe a little unfair. I'm going to say the FAA's treatment of COVID regulatory relief. Like the special FARs. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm going to say that not because we weren't thankful to get that, because I think a lot of people benefited greatly from those, but just in the way that they came out, the piecemeal way they came out, how some of them included relief for, let's say, knowledge test, IFR currency, flight review currency, CFI currency, some of them didn't, you know, sometimes there was a little bit of maintenance relief, but other times there wasn't, even though if you talk out in the field, a lot of people did not want to like, let's say fly their airplane to a shop and then have to take the airlines back. People just were not on board with that. So I just think it was a terribly confusing way to put it out. And it was like, you know, a couple months here, a couple months there, a couple months there. And it's like, man, this thing was, this pandemic was not going to end in a couple months. And so it's like, why didn't we just get like a year? It's like, from the beginning, you know, here's your year, enjoy it, be safe, and then we'll we'll talk in a year and see what happens. I agree with you on that, Ian, to be honest with you, because I think that um, that is real confusing. You almost need a playbook as if you're an NFL football player to keep up with, uh, with these regs, the special regs. And, you know, I was affected by one, which was the extension to get your medical certificate, although I ended up just getting, you know, my third-class medical Anyway, I didn't partake of the uh, extension that was afforded to me, but it would be so confusing, especially if you're an instructor. I just don't understand why that didn't get rolled out, as you said, with just an X number of months right off the bat for everything. Yeah. And, you know, I think some people look at it and they say, well, why do we need this? It's like doctors are still working and everything else. But, I, you know, you and I, we get the call reports from the Pilot Information Center. People are still calling in saying, I can't find an AME that's working. You know, I'm having trouble finding a CFI that's working, especially if you live in a rural area without a lot of choice. I mean, you you can be stuck in a lot of cases still now. So it's still needed, and 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 I think and will continue to be for a couple of months. Well, that was a real head-scratcher, Ian. But on my side, you also need a playbook and scratch your head a little bit more about what was going on with Mooney this year. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. And if, um, if folks, uh, regular listeners of Hangar Talk, will probably recall that Late last year, Mooney basically turned everyone away, closed the factory doors. This happened right before the holidays last year. Mm-hmm. And then they called everyone back and started, you know, fashioning parts and making, trying to get the couple of airplanes on the, on the factory floor off the line and then closed down again. And so what happened? Well, earlier on in this year, and we talked about this a little bit during Hangar Talk in the fall, one of the Mooney owners and a claim owner, Johnny Pollock, Basically, it was part of an investor group, and they they purchased 80% stake of the Texas company, and they are basically steering steering the factory floor towards supporting the Mooney airplanes that are out there, and it is a substantial fleet of 7,000 aircraft, so these are not just one-offs, but Johnny said, and he said, hey, David, call me Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's what everyone calls me, you know, not Mr. Pollock. But anyway, so he was pretty excited about it and was trying to steer that company in the right direction. And it's just a brand that has had its share of ups and downs 
folks that are listeners will know that I've had a couple Moonies myself, and they are awesome airplanes, even the older ones. Yeah. But it's always a question mark about support and backup and things like that. So that was a head scratcher to me. Yeah, I agree. That you know that whole sort of saga, it struck me like a almost like a teenage relationship. You know, it's like on again, off again, depending on the day and who said what, and it's like. Oh man, somebody just make up your mind. It's like, are you open or aren't you? And and I can imagine as an owner, that was a very frustrating and, and nerve wracking period. Absolutely. Although when we talked to Johnny and also, you know, we talked to some other folks, we talked to Maxwell Aviation and, and there are a lot of parts that are just regular parts where you don't need to get them, you know, from, from the factory per se. Yeah. But there are a few airframe parts that you do need to get directly from Mooney. And that was what worried a lot of the owners. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the Y2K award, this is the, you know, biggest buildup. We thought, oh man, this is going to be great. And it just, uh, it sort of fizzled or maybe wasn't as big a deal as we thought it was going to be. So why don't you go ahead and first on this one? I'm going to take the lead on this, Ian. And this was a big disappointment to a lot of people. There were, there was a, a workup of, of years that went into this. But the Arsenal of Democracy, which was going to be a flyover that basically helped folks remember the end of World War II, it just didn't happen. It's another thing that was struck down in 2020 yes. uh, after being delayed. It was supposed to happen you know, in the spring, basically in May. It was delayed and then delayed again. And then really, we were looking forward to it the, the last week in August. And the weather was just, I don't want to say it was zero-zero. But it was way below, you know, what you would call comfortable VFR minimums for Warbird aircraft. And so for folks who hadn't heard of the Arsenal of Democracy, basically we were thinking of having over 70 World War II airplanes, vintage Warbirds, everything from B-29s on down to the liaison aircraft, overfly Washington, D.C., the the National Mall. And it would have been a, a, a huge show of support for the aviators who have lovingly restored these aircraft and also a tip of the hat to the greatest generation, Ian. Don't forget a lot of the folks who served in World War II are in their 90s, some are over 100 years old. And the 75th anniversary of events like this is often referred to as basically the last great recognition for those kind of, for those folks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just a total bummer for them to, to hit that weather. I mean, anyone who, who lives in the Mid-Atlantic knows that that's, I mean, man, if you could pick the perfect time of year to have good flying weather, it's going to be that kind of late August, you know, early September timeframe. And so that was, I think, you're right, a huge disappointment for them and, and for everyone who was planning to watch it. But they they did try and make the best of it. I know we got a couple of really good stories out of it and, and met some really interesting people. So um, they did the best. It, it, was a, it was a good COVID story. You know, it's like they did the best they could with what they had and sort of audibled. But I agree. A disappointment for them and everyone involved. I should also correct myself. That was actually, it was late September, as you mentioned, uh, late September, which is normally a great time of the year. But, you know, we had two days to pull this off. And then on the third day, it wasn't going to happen because there was no permission, basically. But I was, uh, it was a personal highlight for me because I did get to hitch a ride in a B-29 with uh, retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Bob Balchet who led 525 B-29s over Tokyo Bay wow. during that surrender. That's amazing. Yeah. So mine, I think, is is probably the closest equivalent we have to Y2K in aviation, and that's ADSB. You know, January 1st, we've got to think way back now, January 1st, 2020 is a long time ago now. It feels like a lifetime ago. 
that was sort of the doomsday for a lot of people who had not yet equipped with ADSB and who are worried what was going to happen. And I think as an industry, we're all sort of holding our breath, what's going to happen? And it turns out, oh, not a whole lot. You know, I mean, I think, you know, the FAA had come up with a, a waiver process that, as I understand it, is working. People are being, a, you know, they are getting waivers if they really need them. You know, the, the FAA cautioned and they, and they were right. It's like you can't use it in lieu of equipping and and people aren't, I think. But yeah, it, it turned out, oh, okay, well, it was really, you know, sort of a blip. And so funny enough, I was looking at the equipage levels because the FAA, you know, they, they do release those. And people, I guess to the point that, you know, not everybody was ready for January 1st, 2020. On January, on let's call it actually July 1st, 2020, FAA says about 142,000 aircraft were equipped. And by December 1st, 2020, about 150,000 were 149,500. So people are still equipping as the year goes on. And I think that'll continue. That's not unlike what happened with the transponder requirement back in the day. So, you know, uh, life goes on, I think. It, you know, the, the aircraft market was hot like crazy this year. And so, you know, uh, in terms of values tanking and everything else, it didn't really happen. So it came and went. Yeah. So the Y2K version of, uh, of that, um, to talk about ADSB and I jumped on board the ADSB wagon train early on. I got, I bought a, a portable, one of these receivers that's about the size of a writing pen by UAvionics. And it was like around 200 bucks when I got it. And even to this day, I use that even if I'm flying airplanes with built-in ADSB, which all the AOPA aircraft do, and including the club airplane that I fly with Westminster Airbats. But it gives me another peace of mind where I can look at my iPad mini and see that ADSB traffic and the weather on there, in addition to what's on the panel in the aircraft. But I jumped on board that pretty early. And, you know, there was some confusion about ADSB as well. And confusion about the portable units. We had a Strat, uh, Strat X, a Strat Us, yeah. uh, and <laughs> and several other devices. But anyway, I go with you. I'll go with you on that. That was that was the Y two K of aviation for the year two thousand. I'm sorry, year twenty twenty. I messed yeah. that one up. Yeah. Well, there was two. Theirs was two thousand. Ours was twenty twenty. Right. Twenty years right, later. Right. All right. So worst news of the year. I mean, boy, it's uh, it's. It can be hard to stay positive in a year like this. So I'll go with what I think is the obvious choice here. And that was the cancellation of all the in-person events. You know, I, I think aviation is is obviously, it's airplanes, it's getting out there to the airport, it's seeing your buddies around, you know, around the airport and, and that sort of thing. But for a lot of people, it centers on these, on these in-person events, Sun and Fun, Oshkosh, NBAA, AOPA fly-ins, all of them. And so to not have those felt like a, a real loss this year for a lot of people and, and myself included. Kind of like a hole in your schedule and a little bit of a hole in your heart there. It's a real a real downer for a lot of folks. Plus yeah. the camaraderie, and that's the key aspect of it. And, and as well as you know, seeing new new items. We were just talking about ADSB and some of the electronics, but yep, I'll I'll go with that. But I also think, Ian, that we need to look back and, and one of the worst news years that I've seen in a while as far as obituaries are concerned occurred in 2020 where we lost 25 standouts to general aviation and to aerospace. Yeah, now you do these every year, these sort of look back, round up obits. And I know you're, you're as we record this, you're finishing up the one for this year. And 
you were telling me that this is a lengthy list for you. It is, Ian. We haven't had quite this many um, yet since I've been doing that. It's basically it's a salute to those who have flown west. You know, one of the one of the top folks that folks have been talking about recently here in December was Chuck Yeager. You know, he uh, the speed of sound breaker and uh, and longtime test pilot, and we just recently lost him, but. He's just the latest. I mean, we've had a, a stream of bad luck here. We had a couple of uh, air show performers that folks knew really well die this year, and and also heads of aviation organizations, uh, HAI, the Helicopter um, Associated International lost Matt Zuccaro, and he mm-hmm. was a key force, a driving leader. Yep. A lot of folks who are not pilots will, will remember actor, studio host James Lipton. He was a pilot. Yeah. So um, and we have on and on, and we do want to honor these folks. And you'll see um, folks who can tap into AOPA.org in the next couple of days or, or weeks or so can see how we've honored these folks, um, and we'll keep them in our memories moving forward. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so let's end on a high note. Uh, the best news of 2020. What what do you what do you think? What do you gather? Ian, I'm going to go with the fact that when the chips are down, aviators get going. And, you know, we've seen this before after hurricanes and other national tragedies and and environmental tragedies. But aviators stepped up to the plate during COVID-19, Ian, and gave back to their communities. The first out of the bat, you know, as far as general aviation is concerned, are are the folks at Michigan Seaplane. They, Cran Jones had an automobile contact, and he, he talked to them about making PPE, these, these clear face shields for medical workers, because there was a severe shortage. And that got the ball rolling. We saw a lot of aviation outreach. We saw a lot of aviators flying supplies to folks. We saw folks honoring healthcare workers, and we saw, we saw military salutes from basically from the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels who flew together yeah. over yeah, several that was a cities. Highlight. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. And so we saw this on and on. But you know, I don't want to forget the fact that manufacturers stepped up to the plate. Mm-hmm. You know, Piper down in Vera Beach, they set aside part of their factory line to make some PPE, a personal protective equipment. We had Virgin Orbit making ventilators because they yeah, were in amazing. such short supply. Cirrus yeah. and Textron, pitched in for coronavirus relief and on and on. So I'm going to say that some of the best news is the pilot outreach. That's good. Yeah. I I thought the manufacturers in particular are really interesting because, you know, some of that was uh, depending on, on the specific situation. Some of it was strictly donation, you know, as people at the factories who came together and made stuff on their own time and, you know, donating the materials and everything else. Some of it was was a way for the manufacturers to get through the pandemic. So it was it was a way to sell product uh-huh. that they were good at making and and to keep people on the line and yeah. not uh, not looking for a job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, so a, a win win. Right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, hospitals needed it and aviation was able to produce it, and it's so that was uh, that was very cool. I agree, that was a high point. I'm going to go with a piece of tech, and and for me, the best news of the year was the Pipistrel. Velis Electro. This was the first type certificated electric aircraft in the world. It's all electric. And this is, you know, we've, we've talked about this airplane. In fact, we've flown it before, a similar version before it was certified. And, you know, as, as you mentioned at the top of the show, we have talked about electric a lot this year. And for me, 
to have one certified, it, it was a, a hugely important moment. Now, this was EASA certified. And, and so Europe really has become the electric leader, I think, by default there, because the FAA just uh, doesn't really have the rules in place yet. And, and Pipistrel even mentions on the website that it's like, well, they want to be certified by FAA, but you know they don't know exactly what the path is going to be there yet. So I think a, a really big moment to get that certified. You know, it only flies for about 50 minutes plus reserves, but it's a start. Uh, it is it is a start. That's long enough to do some laps in the pattern. And as as I've mentioned several times, you know, I think back to my, you know, to my early days in aviation, where really you just get going with an instructor. You just need to get the airport environment down pat to begin with, and maybe venture out a little bit to the practice area. So a little bit less than an hour of flying time would work for this, Ian. Yeah. And it keeps the cost down, and that is the key. Now, I think it's unfortunate that they picked the word, and you pronounced it right, the the, the, the Vellus, yeah. Vellus, but it actually looks like virus, which yeah. was, in, in the year 2020, wasn't a great choice of words. No, 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 but, no definitely but, not. But, but, the, but the electro... As the the world's first electric powered airplane, you know, to see that to receive that kind of type certificate certainly will pave the way. Yeah, um, we just need to get through some basically dot some I's, cross some T's here at the FAA and get it going in the states. Yeah, absolutely. So now this thing, you know, it, it does only have a fifty minute endurance, but some things that I was impressed by, you know, batteries as we know, the energy density is not as as high as it is for for avgas and jet fuel, and so. I was a little worried about, you know, payload, but the the payload is is actually pretty good. It's 378 pounds. So, you know, since we don't have to worry about full fuel versus empty and everything else. Now, I mean, that is it's 378 pounds you can put in it. So, if you're just going around the pattern, that's plenty for most people, I think. Has sort of normal runway performance. I think big for Europe, it only produces something like 60 decibels, which is incredible. Very quiet. Pretty yeah. quiet. Yeah, well, so so nine. I mean, I'm a bass player, and you know, uh, ninety some odd decibels is yeah, not unusual right. when you're playing the bass. So to think about sixty, that's uh, that's pretty quiet. Yep, yep. Now it does take like an hour and a half to recharge, so I think that's a downer. But they're working on it. They'll speed that up, and you know, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds there. It's a cool looking two place high wing airplane, and basically the design is proven too. And then you know, in the powered the gas, the other powered versions of that aircraft. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. So, hey, glad to end on a high note. I think we're looking forward to twenty twenty one. We'll we'll see some more big news. Hopefully, some events back in person. But in the meantime, that's all the time we have. And thanks for listening. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangar talk. You can ask Alexa to play hangar talk. And you can find us wherever you find your podcast. And we are so glad you joined us this year. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.